shall see what a what a wonderful thought that is but also what a wonderful um, hope that we have to look forward to uh, some glad morning amen you have your bibles if you can find your way to the book of romans romans chapter number two romans chapter number two this morning and while you're turning there, I want us to think also about a parable that is found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 18, he was, Jesus was talking about uh, this parable. And he said, On two certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. The Lord was talking of two people two men who had gone into the temple to pray. Uh, one was a Pharisee. He was part of a, this religious sect in Israel um, that tended to be very legalistic. We kind of looked at that uh, last Sunday about um, Jesus being greater uh, than the temple, being greater than those that, uh, that um, uh, find fault. The Pharisees always looking for fault in Christ. Uh, but nonetheless, they were a very legalistic and self-righteous uh, group of people. And then the other mentioned in that parable was a tax collector or a publican, as some translations would call him. Uh, the tax collectors were hated uh, because they often cheated their fellow Jews and, and because they were considered traitors who worked for the Roman government and ruled uh, Israel. In this parable, we find that it shows a pride and self-righteousness of the Pharisee, and it also shows the sorrow for sin that is found in the tax collector. In that same parable, Jesus mentions this, and he gives the marrow of the story, if you will. He says that I tell you that this man went down to this house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. One of the easiest uh, things to do uh, is to be self-righteous, is it not? Um, it's one of the easiest things. We can always find someone uh, that we consider uh, not as... Uh, well-behaved as we are. Um, we, we can compare ourselves to that person and we uh, sometimes feel uh, compared to that person that we are doing just fine. There are many people who feel that uh, they are going to heaven simply because uh, they are not immoral like others. Uh, they are not adulterers. They are not murderers. They are not uh, bank robbers. They, uh, they're not even blasphemers. So in fact, uh, they think that heaven is their home. They find fault with that sort of person and consider them kind of people um, or consider themselves to be far above those sinners. There are many people who feel that way, but there are also many born-again Christians who feel pretty good about themselves simply because they compare themselves to other Christians. Their church attendance is better than others. Their devotional life is better than others. The places that they do or don't go is better 
than the others. And the Bible says that they, the use is a better. Paul confronts the self-righteous in, in chapter 2 here of Romans that uh, these would be people who read about over in chapter 1, 2. If you uh, wanted to take the time to read chapter 1 this afternoon or in your spare time, uh, which concer- uh, concerns the heathen. Um, and so Paul is talking about these extensively, and this would uh, be who we compare ourselves to. And, and they have considered themselves to be far above that kind of behavior. They would not consider themselves to be this bad that is mentioned in chapter 1. And by the way, may I make a side note here and say, um, probably in the month of July, I'll be here each Sunday in July, Romans is my favorite uh, book in the New Testament, so um, don't be surprised if we don't spend a lot of time uh, in the book of Romans. There is a lot of stuff in the book of Romans that is good, uh, but nonetheless, uh, just a side note there for you. I'm not saying we will in July. I'm just saying it's possible, all right? Uh, so Paul mentions the kind of behaviors in chapter 1 and then he goes into chapter 2 and in our text Paul confronts that person who feels that he would get to heaven because he has not sinned like those that are mentioned in chapter 1 and he shows us in this passage that the self-righteous person is just as guilty he is just as much a sinner as the one who is a blatant sinner. And if Paul was writing today, he might point out that just being in church and and living an outward moral life is not going to get you into heaven. Because we are all sinners, we are all in need of a Savior, one to die for our sins, and that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. There is a reminder here in this passage for those of us who are saved. That reminder is that we have no right to stand as critics of others. There was someone who said one time that if we would look at our own sin, we would not have time to look at the sins of others. And I thought, how true that is. We're so quick to point out everybody else's faults, right? I was coming down uh, the highway here, and as I, there are so many churches, right? It, it, it I mean, there is uh, any kind of church you can think of. I suppose is probably within two, three miles of this one, right? Uh, and as I come here and I saw the, the crowds, the, the, the vehicles at the churches, and I was like, man, that's nice. You know, they got a good crowd. And I was looking at the names. I, I have, I don't know why, but I always look at the church's names. You know, you have the Church of Christ and you have a, um, a Church of God in Christ, which is a Pentecostal organization. And, and then I saw a Jehovah's Witness, a place, and and it seems like I saw maybe something there. I don't remember. Anyway, Missionary Baptist, and then, um, anyhow, as I was coming through, I saw all of these churches, and I was thinking, you know, it's great that they're in church. Now, there are some that I definitely don't agree with, but nonetheless, you know, who am I to say that they are wrong in the sense of where they stand with God? You know, we have this problem that in society our mentality has become that if it's not my 
way, then it's wrong. And Paul calls them out in this, and, and he gives these critical statements uh, about this and is concerning not only the sinner, but also even the saint. And so to be very honest with you this morning, uh, very often our criticisms are not valid. So why should we be careful about our criticisms of others? Very simply, this passage that we're going to look at shows us that God knows about us. He knows about us. He is the one that has the right to judge. And ultimately, he will be the one uh, to judge. So let's look at this passage together. Romans uh, chapter number 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Therefore you are without excuse, whoever you are, When you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things, and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of this kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will repay according to each one's deeds to those who... Uh, By patiently doing good, seek for the glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but injustice, there will be wrath and fury. There will be an affliction and distress for everyone who does evil, both to the Jew first and to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, both the Jew first and to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged in accordance with the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who do not possess the law, by nature do what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, and on their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the holy day, when according to my gospel, God, through Christ Jesus, judges the secret thoughts of all. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you know our heart. Lord, where we stand. And God, we're thankful that redemption has been provided, that the way of redemption has been provided. And God, that we can have this forgiveness of sin because of the blood shed there on Calvary's cross. Lord, we are thankful that you are God and that you are the judge and that You are here in our midst this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, God, that you would speak to our heart. Lord, perhaps there is one here 
who has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. We pray that you would convict their heart, Lord, if they would be saved before it's eternally too late. For that one that maybe is not as close to you as they ought to be, God, that you would convict them that they repent and return to you. And Lord, for whatever you do here this morning in this place, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want us to think about, if you saw there on the last phrase there in chapter 2, verse 16, it talks about God through Jesus Christ judges the secret thoughts of all. I'd like to simply think on this morning and that God knows all about it. God knows all about it. Look there at verses 1 through verse 3. We find where God knows the truth. God knows the truth. He says, therefore, you are without excuse when you judge others for in passing judgment on another. You condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. So the person who judges and condemns another person is actually condemning uh, themselves. To judge someone uh, else is to show uh, that you have a conscience. And so in having a conscience, you show that you have some sense of, of knowing what is right and what is wrong. And so in showing that you know what is right and what is wrong, you condemn yourself because you and I who judge others are guilty of the same thing. And that's kind of where Paul was um, uh, catching them here uh, on this uh, judging them and, and trying to find fault within them. And again, these this passage is actually referring to chapter 1 um, where it lists all of these uh, sins, the guilt beginning in about verse 18 uh, that talks about the sins of man and what man does. Uh, so he's saying, but you know what's right, you know what's wrong, and you are the one condemning them because they are not doing what you think uh, is right. In verse 2, we find when God judges it will be according to truth. And I like what it says there uh, in verse 2. It says, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. It's not about man's opinion. It's not about man's idea of what God uh, thinks this passage may say. It's not about my opinion or my expose or my commentary or, or whoever else's commentary you can read on these passages. That's not what we're judged on. Paul is saying we will be judged on what God says. And what God judges on is truth, not man's opinion, not man's ideologies, not man's thoughts concerning these things. It's what the true is. And when God judges, he does that uh, in there. There is no fooling uh, God I was uh, watching, and I don't even, it's been a few, several years ago now, I was watching some uh, documentary on a, um, a pastor, they, uh, I think it was, it was called something along the lines falling from grace, uh, where this pastor was a very prominent uh, pastor, and you may know who, I don't even remember who it was, but anyway, um, regardless, he, he was a very prominent pastor, done a lot of 
Uh, he was a pastor of a church, but he also done a lot of crusades and evangelism and that kind of thing. Anyway, long story short, he got caught up into some um, less honorable things and uh, ended up going to prison, spent time in prison, uh, got out of prison, and is right back doing the same stuff again. Uh, but nonetheless, I say all that to say this, there's a lot of people in positions that probably shouldn't be in those positions because they have somehow fooled the people. But make no mistake, this morning there is no fooling God. Uh, we, can, we can put on nice clothes and nice suits and look good and, and uh, smell good and, and, and maybe uh, talk our way out of something or whatever the case may be, but there is no fooling God. God knows the truth. In verse 3, he talks about criticizing others for their sins does not excuse them from their own sin. This is another thing that I think uh, so many have failed uh, to do or to realize is that uh, they think that automatically they are able to um, excuse themselves because they're calling out someone else on their sin. I've always said I, I think we should preach against sin, obviously, and I think it's a place to do that. And, and, and I think there's a, a method the Bible teaches us when people sin. We should call them in privately, discuss it, and if we can't do that, then we have to call in the elders of the church. And then, you know, it's a whole process to this. But that doesn't excuse the fact that we are still sinners. And I've always said we need to get people to Christ and let Christ clean up whatever needs to be cleaned up. God knows the truth. Secondly, verses 4 and verse 5, we know that God knows your need. He knows your need. He knows the truth, but he also knows our need. Notice what it says there in verse 4. Do you spies the riches of this kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. Repentance. God knows what we need. He knows that we need to repent. He knows that we need to turn to Christ for forgiveness. And may I also say that if there was ever a time for repentance... This is certainly the time. Uh, we live in such, um, I, I want to say for a lack of better words, interesting uh, times, uh, different times. Uh, we was discussing earlier uh, a couple of the gentlemen here about uh, their service days and how they served. And, and uh, it was long before I was even thought of, all right? As a matter of fact, my parents might have just been thought of. All right, in the years that they were mentioning here. Uh, so, but the time from that until now, look how much has changed. Some good, some things are good, some things are better. They was mentioning cranking a car, how you had to turn the key and pull the switch and uh, shifting. I, I thank God that mine, you pull the shift, you push a button, you pull the shifter. You know, that's all it is <laughs> to mine out there. Uh, you know, the times are different, but nonetheless, our need is still the same. We need repentance. We need Christ. We need to turn to him for forgiveness. 
He knows the truth. God knows your need. Verses 6 through 10, we find where God knows your deeds. He knows your deeds. God knows everything that you do. Is that not scary uh, on some part? Uh, some level, that is frightening to know that God, I, this is not scriptural, it's not any, there is no biblical basis. This is just kind of to give you an imagination here. God has this file cabinet with your name on it, and he can go and pull that file and list every single thing you have ever done in your walk of life. Is that not frightening? Every word uttered, every thought that was thought, every action that was done, every single thing, God knows. And I would even dare say that because of those things, and it kind of like what Paul points out here, what basis does that give us to criticize the other person? God knows your deeds. And... Those deeds are what's going to be judged upon. God knows not only the truth and your need and your deeds, but in verses 11 through verse 15, we find where God knows your situation. He knows your situation. Look at verse number 11. For God shows no partiality. We can be thankful for that this morning, right? Uh, that there are no prerequisites to um, your forgiveness from Christ. Uh, you know, when you go to school, when you go to college, or you go to uh, seminary or graduate school, whatever the case may be, there are prerequisites to a lot of those things. I know in college, in my particular field of study, I, of course, being in funeral service, mortuary science, uh, there was some classes that you had to have before you could take these other classes. And you couldn't take these until you had those others. There's prerequisites. I'm glad that God doesn't look at us and say, well, he's a little too heavy. Or maybe he's not heavy enough. Or too short. Or too tall. Or um, as someone said to me, he's too white. <laughs> Uh, he's too dark. He, he's not the right nationality. He's not the right ethnicity. He's not, he doesn't have enough money in the bank. He doesn't wear the right name brand clothes. I'm glad that God doesn't look at that. He knows our situation and he is totally impartial. Whoever, Paul talks extensively of this later on in the book, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about maybe. It's not he'll think about it and get back with you. There's not a, a grace period where you have to wait. Whoever will be if you call on him. He knows your situation. Person who had the law of God, verses 11 through 15 again, will be judged by the law of God. The one who did not have the law of God will be judged by their conscience. And again, this is kind of where Paul was nailing it down with these Pharisees and saying, you know, you have the law, 
And then you have this tax collector. You have your law which tells you right and wrong, and you have this tax collector who knows right from wrong. And he's saying, whatever the case may be, that is how you will face this. Do I know that I'm doing wrong and still do it? Am I do, do I know what's right and still do wrong? Do I know what the word of God says, his law, and still completely, utterly, intentionally go against it? He knows the situation, and God will judge us according to that. And then finally, in verse 16, God knows the truth. God knows your need. God knows your deeds. God knows your situation. But look at verse 16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God, through Christ Jesus, judges the secret thoughts of all. God knows your motives. He knows your motives. All secrets will come out. The unsaved, according to Revelation chapter 20, the unsaved will be judged at the great white throne. Those that saved will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as well as Romans chapter 14. So if you are self-righteous about salvation, can I encourage you to turn to Christ for forgiveness and eternal life? If you are self-righteous as a Christian, can I encourage you this morning to confess and forsake that sin? It is something how, as I have said, when that time comes and we stand before God and our file is pulled, if you will, I remember... (laughs) I don't want to self-incriminate myself here, but I recall a time in in high school. Um, believe it or not, I had a real bad issue um, with knowing how to be quiet. Um, I was a talker. I talked a lot, and it got me in a lot of trouble most of the time. Uh, there were early signs that there was a possibility that I would be a preacher. All right. Uh, when we're talking way back to even uh, elementary school. But nonetheless, I recall one time getting sent to the office. I guess it was middle school. Um, Around about the same time, I had surrendered to preach when I was 14 years old. And uh, it was around about that time. Uh, But nonetheless, um, I remember going to the office, and I remember the principal literally pulling my file, which was thick of all the times that I had been. And we're talking from elementary to this point now, so don't don't read into it too much, all right? But it was a thick file. And and I kind of, as I study this, I, I call back to that day of thinking, it's like, man, this is how God is with his people when he pulls our file and sees all of this stuff that we've done. But I'm so thankful that there is something within that file 
that nullifies it all. And that is the blood of Christ. I'm thankful that when God looks at us, He doesn't see us in our sinful, fallen, depraved condition. But He sees us as His children. He sees us covered in the blood. It makes me think of the Old Testament passage. And I'll close with this idea. The Old Testament, if you'll remember, where the plagues was sent out over Israel. One of those plagues, the last and final plague, was the death of the uh, firstborn. And they had to put blood over the doorpost. And when the death angel came through, if he saw the blood, he would pass over. Hence, the feast Passover. But nonetheless... I think of Christ, and when God sees us, He doesn't see us as we are, but He sees the blood. And it's the blood that will keep you out of hell. It is the blood that will keep you in heaven. I've always said this. Some people say it's a little, it's a little bit of a um, theology misstatement, and perhaps. Uh, borderline incorrect, but I'm going to say it anyway um, because it's true. We all go to heaven. We all go to heaven. The question is whether or not you get to stay in heaven. And that is a sad reality when you hear the words, depart, for I never knew you. As we stand together this morning, hymn of invitation, I believe we have a song that will be played. This is your opportunity. It may not be necessarily salvation, maybe a time of repentance, maybe a time of maybe a rededication. Whatever the case may be, would you come this morning? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we've had this time to gather in your house to worship you. And Lord, we're thankful for the blood and more of the cross and God, the salvation that you provide to us. 
Lord, we're thankful that you're an all-knowing God, how that you know our hearts, you know our intentions, Lord, you know our needs, and Lord, we pray that we would come to you with those needs, Lord, that we would seek you each and every day of our life. Lord, be with us now as we depart from this place and as we go place to place, God, and that you would bring us back at the next appointed time. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.